we're glad you're here. 10 a.m. I love the 10 a.m. There's just something about the 10 a.m. that's just holy. The way you guys sang that worship song just now, man, it was just, it was glorious. Hallelujah. Um, so we're, we've been doing a series, God is, are you all alive this morning? All right. Well, if you're not yet, maybe we'll get you there by the end of the service. Um, but we, we're talking today about God is holy. Say that with me. Say, God is holy. Um, I, I, I've been enjoying this series so far. I, I didn't know I was going to preach the first three. I knew I was going to at least preach the first one, um, but it just kind of worked out that way. We haven't really, uh, um, we've just been going for it. And, um, and so I, I told my wife, I'm like, honey, I want you to do this week. She's like, no, I want to do the next one. So my wife's preaching next Sunday. Don't miss that. It's going to be incredible. Um, but today, it seems like every time we, uh, we, the first one was God is for us, then God is king, and this week is God is holy. And uh, I want to share with you, uh, I wanna, we're going to talk about the holiness of God. And, uh, and we're going to talk about how, how we define that and what that means to us. How does it impact our life? So there's three things that I wrote down, and we might get to them. I, I didn't get to them last service. Um, but three things that impact our lives when we get a revelation of God's holiness. When we talk about the word holy, just like any word in the Bible or any definition that we have, like if we define love or you know, we define righteousness or we define justification or whatever it is, how many know that we, we all have different definitions of things? And inside that definition is usually how we understand it. So like, for example, justification, many of us have been taught the courtroom drama scene of justification. How many have been taught that, right? And, and so we have a little phrase in there, just if I had never done it, you know, Jesus or the Father declared us not guilty. And, and so we have these, and, and that's one way to understand it, but how many know that can limit the definition of justification because when Paul's writing about justification, it's likely he wasn't talking about a courtroom drama scene. But how many know, those of you especially that have been through our school, church history, that that courtroom drama scene wasn't really a picture uh, in, in our exegesis of Romans until the Reformation about 500 years ago. Now, John Calvin used that a lot in his understanding of what it means to be justified. So that's just an example. Not that we don't glean from that. We can get a lot out of that. How many know Jesus does say not guilty? He says we're forgiven by his blood. Come on, the blood of Jesus has washed us clean. But, but I wanna talk about holiness and I wanna talk about the word holy because how many know the word holy means separate? And so in reference to God, when the scripture talks about the Lord is holy, that you know, it's saying that there is none like him. And, and how, do, how does, what does that mean? Because I think... It depends on the paradigm that we find ourselves in, in our Christian faith, of, of how that can unfold and how that actually impacts our life. Uh, and so we're going to discuss some of those things. Isn't that fun? Praise God. Just so look at your neighbor and say, that sounds like a lot of fun. I only did that so you would lighten up a little and I had time to drink this delicious pour over somebody just made me. Oh. Ethiopian coffee beans, naturally processed. You know what that means? That when the bean was drying, I think, I think this is what it means, it was still like in the cherry and because it's dry in that area of the country. So 
they can actually dry it in the cherry and then they wash it so the bean still has all of these fruity flavors. When you open up that bag of coffee, it smells like fruity pebbles. Who loved that cereal? Come on, somebody. Remember what it did to the milk, fruity pebbles? It was like this pink colored milk after fruity <laughs> But this is good coffee right here. How many coffee snobs do we have in the house? Come on, somebody. Wave at me. I respect you. Who drinks their coffee black? Raise your hand. Oh, my goodness. We, I love the 10 a.m. Wow. Who likes a little coffee with their cream? Raise their hand. Did you catch that? My wife. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, honey, just try it without cream first, please. I just made this delicious pour over. Just try it. She's like, okay, I have before, honey. I'm trying to convert her. It's not working. So um, one day she will be saved. Amen. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm joking. She's more saved than I am most of the time. Praise God. Unless you hang out with her after 9 p.m. Something happens after 9. My wife just like the real, like she says what everyone else is thinking. Right? And I love that. Like we need to be, we need more conversations that are real. Come on. Yeah, well, we just don't talk about politics because we don't want to. We need more honest conflict. We need fierce conversations especially in the church. Yeah, because we're always walking on eggshells with stuff like that. And let's just, we should be able to converse and not see things the same way. You know, I can see something different and my heart can still be connected to somebody that sees something a different way. That's the issue is we have such tribalism and division over the dumbest stuff. Political parties, come on, man. It doesn't matter what political party you're from. We're citizens in heaven first. If we are under the reign of a king, we can't be divided under the reign of an emperor or a president. You know, I did love you, but you're not really responding well, church. I just, I'm just messing with you. All right, let's get to the word. <laughs> How many can say Amen. Last week, we talked about God as king and the unfolding story in the book of Isaiah, which, by the way, Catherine, thank you for that gift of the Passion Translation. He just finished Isaiah. It just came out, right? And, uh, and so you gave that to us. Really appreciate it. So we read Isaiah 52, 53, 54, and 55, and we, we basically read portions of those chapters and it's this unfolding story of God becoming king. And then we jump back to Isaiah 6. And I want to recap a little bit because Isaiah 6 was this encounter that Isaiah had with God. It says that in the year, Isaiah 6, 1, in the year King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And it says he began to hear angels crying to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty and the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, what's interesting about this encounter in this account is that uh, Isaiah, his language changed. He was prophesying to the people of God like many prophets of old did, and they would say, woe to you, you know, repent. This is what the Lord's going to do, and judgment's going to come on you if you don't get right. And how many know that was old covenant prophecy? Are you thankful for that? <laughs> the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, the prophetic gift is for comfort, and encouragement. We don't need old covenant prophets, prophets, masses, new covenant prophets prophesying doom and gloom. I can watch CNN if I want that. Come on, somebody. 
When I look at prophetic in the Bible, they preach the opposite of what was happening. It looks like it's going down the drain, but God says, I'm about to do this. Or it looks like it's all real nice and pretty, but on the inside, there's something else going on. That, so it, it's the foretelling of truth. But how many know, just like old covenant prophets, Isaiah, woe to you, woe to you from chapter one, two, three, four. And then six, he has this encounter with God and he says, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. His perspective changed when he gazed at the revelation of God's holiness. He wasn't quick to point the finger. Now, it's interesting. Now, it depends on the paradigm we're in. When we talk about the holiness of God, how many know? When, you, when I first got saved, or even before I was a Christian, when I thought about holy, I thought about sinlessness, perfection. Now, when we talk about holiness and God being holy, of course, it's that. It's, he is, there's none like him. He is, he is separate and he is distinct and he is God and he is, you know, all of those things, you know, he's omnipotent, omniscient. And, but I want, I want to unpack a little bit of how a revelation of God, depending on the paradigm we're in, can either help us or hurt us. And, and in, in the scripture, I think, uh, I want to talk about the first thing, that it, in, how it impacts our life, okay? So when we get a revelation of the holiness of God, here's the first thing it does. It purifies the well of our hearts. In the first service, I was talking a little bit about how our words contain power. How many know that you could actually say a lot of positive things, but if the well of our hearts are, if it's full of bitterness or or anger or whatever, how many know that our positive words don't really have much substance to them? You know, and, and the same thing goes in our relationships with one another. You know, I can honor with my words or I could dishonor with my words. Proverbs 18 says death and life is in the power of our words or the tongue. So Ephesians 4.29 says this, don't let corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but only that which is good for necessary edification, building up, right? Here's what it says, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Your words contain power. So as a husband, I want to make the right choices and orient my heart at, at the love of God and at my bride where I'm loving my wife like Jesus loves the church and my words honor her to where now she, it's almost like she's empowered and she's given permission because our hearts are so connected and her heart is open to my words most of the time, unless we're driving somewhere and she thinks she knows where she's going, but I'm looking at a map and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if her heart is open to my words and I'm honoring her with my words, it it brings her into a place where now she can fly and soar and be the daughter of God that she's created to be. Your words can empower people into freedom or they can disempower people into bondage. Now, it, that doesn't mean that whatever someone says, you know, sticks to us. That's only if we allow our hearts to cling to it. I, I shared this first service and I'll share it again. I like to do something every once in a while, if I feel like, and, and I don't want you to be overly spiritual about this when I, I'm teaching you this, because 
What I'm about to tell you, if we focus, whatever we focus on can perpetuate, whether it's good or bad. How many know what I'm talking about? So like if we're like conscious and aware of demons in the room or demons that are doing this and the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, and there's a time and a place for that, right? And there's, but how many know that if we're looking for demons, we're going to find them everywhere? Hello? And everything's going to be about casting the devil out. We won't even have time to pray. Like God says to pray, you know, and we're like casting demons out. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I think some, uh, some cultures in Christianity, we're, we're just like thermometer Christians. We can tell you what's in the atmosphere and tell you the dominating principality over a city. And, but we don't change the atmosphere. We should be a thermostat Christian where we change the spiritual climate of an atmosphere. We cast devils out out in Jesus' name. So like if, if one of my kids wakes up with a nightmare, no, that ain't gonna happen again. I'm gonna break the power of that demonic lying spirit, that oppressive thing, and it's not gonna bug them anymore in Jesus' name. That's how we approach things like that. We don't focus on it. We don't, uh, we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices, but if we focus on the demonic realm, it will perpetuate, and then everything is about warfare, and everything is about, and, it's, and so what happens is we begin to do our own warfare, and we're fighting the devil instead of allowing Jesus and his righteousness and his grace and his victory that he won, to re- he represents us, and it says the Lord rebuke you to the enemy. And so I, I want to I share this with you. Sometimes if I feel like we're, I've allowed words to penetrate my heart and they have gripped me in a way that it's pulling me away from my identity, it feels like it's, it's almost like it's uh, binding me from being who I was really created to be. Here's what I do. I say, Father, in Jesus' name, I break the power of every word spoken to me that's not from you. I don't pray it that much, but there are times, listen, if there are words that have been spoken to you because somebody, somebody's well, the well of their heart, hearts was full of toxicity, the words that come out of their mouth, maybe, listen, and here's what the enemy does, and here's, here's what sin does and darkness does. It gets us to a place where we don't know who we are, we don't know who God is, we're still hiding from God, afraid from God, and we don't know who we are, so we don't. I don't know who you are, so I can't tell you who you really are. And I'm still looking at you. I'm still knowing you according to the flesh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible says we don't know anyone according to the flesh anymore. I'm not supposed to hold your sin against you. Jesus doesn't hold my sin against me. I'm not supposed to hold my sin, come on somebody, against myself. How many know the message of the gospel is you are forgiven? Your sins have been dealt with past, present, and future. Come on. That's a hard one to chew on, but forgiveness is always flowing from the heart of God. And if we repent, we conf- or if we sin, we repent. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But let's say that I've allowed words to cling to my heart. Sometimes I've got to say, wait a minute. I'm not thinking straight. I've allowed these words, this, maybe it's a tag. Maybe someone, someone says something, a repetitious thing. It could happen in a marriage. It could happen in any relationship. It could happen in a, a parental figure. Says something to you negatively. You'll never amount to anything. Or, you know, and that's an extreme. But how many know that words contain power and they can hurt? But we don't have to let them affect and grab, grab our hearts to where they, uh, they bind us from walking in our destiny. So in the revelation of the holiness of God, God purifies our well. I thought about the story of the woman at the well. And I thought about like this, this picture. Now, how many know Jesus 
Now, let me just say this first, though. Do you know that if we are gazing at the holiness of God with an old covenant mindsets that are still like tentacles around our mind, holiness will actually cause us to separate ourselves from others and separate ourselves uh, from broken people in a bad way. Now, there is a separation that should take place in a good way, but not in a way where we are, are no, we're, it's almost like, you know, the word Pharisee actually means separatist. So uh, somebody under the law, understanding the holiness of God, a veiled understanding of the holiness of God will cause us to separate ourselves and we build walls around things. And then we build an offense around those walls because we're so afraid of sin. How many know holiness is not just about being sinless? It's about understanding the heart and the love of God and then knowing who we are. Because being sinless or being free from sin doesn't happen from you trying not to sin. It happens when we know who we are, that it's not our nature as believers and sons of daughters to sin. Can I get an amen? It's about identity. It's always about identity. It's always about who God is and who we are, that we're children of God. God wants you to walk in your true self, not your Self that is deluded under sin and death. Not, not the sin and death, not that darkness that, that, uh, that imprisons us. And so sin is a disease. It is the darkness that imprisons us and it's the acts that we do in the darkness. That's sin. That is sin. Sin isn't just actions and behaviors. Those are symptoms of a deeper level of a disease of sin reigning in the cosmos. And it's what happens when we, have, when we turn away from God. When we turn away from communion from God, we sin. And so in the understanding of, of holiness, here's the wrong way to look at holiness. Holiness should not build walls. It should tear down walls. When we think about the holiness of God, how many know God is holy? He was holy before there was sin. So what is holy in that definition? If he was holy before sin, then holiness isn't just about being sinless or perfect in that sense. The holiness of God in the sense before creation was describing the beauty and the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And guess what happens when we get the revelation of that holiness? We see that holiness is now an invitation to relationship and healing and freedom and life. Come on, somebody. You are holy, therefore I am holy. You know, God sings over you that you're holy and your righteousness for he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're absolutely righteous. It's been accredited to your account. How many know there are times that our bank account is a little empty? I guess I'm in front of a bunch of people that are millionaires, but... Uh, you ever get those emails where, you know, you might have an account that is a revolving checking in your, and then it, like it drops below that. Does anyone, am I the only one that sometimes that happens? <laughs> You're like, oh, dang it, I got to transfer some money over there. And <laughs> you forget about that reoccurring charge, you know, for something you don't need. Jesus help us. And, and so you, you, how many know sometimes our accounts are a little empty? Let me tell you something. Your account has been absolutely it's overflowing with righteousness spiritually. Your debt has been canceled. All your medical bills are paid for with all of the disease of sin, all the actions, all the things that led, all the stuff that we did in darkness that hurt us. God's like, not only am I gonna heal you, but I'm gonna cover all your medical expenses. Come on, somebody. 
the great exchange. You are absolutely righteous in the sight of God. This is what Romans chapter five teaches. You're righteous. It's accredited to your count. Not only is it accredited to your count, let me tell you a story. I, I remember uh, transitioning from getting paid hourly and working on tips and uh, transitioning to more of an entrepreneur type business. And uh, I was kind of forced into it. And so I started learning uh, the mortgage business years ago. And, and I'm, I'm, this is all new to me, right? And, and all I have is some public relations skills. I have no knowledge about the business whatsoever at all. So I start making phone calls. My first month, I'm hustling. I'm going for it. My dad's mentoring me. Okay, so my dad's been doing the business very successful. He's an entrepreneur, doing really well. And so I, and my dad's like, you can do this. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, man. So I set appointments and I'm meeting with people trying to refinance them and things like that. And so here's what would happen. I'm like taking loan applications and they ask me a question and I just, this is, this was my answer for almost everything. I'm not sure. Let me get one of my senior loan officers to answer that question for you. Cause I didn't know nothing, <laughs> right? Never say, I don't know. You, you never say that. They teach you that in customer service, right? You don't say, I don't know. You say, let me get back with you on that. I'm not sure, but, and, and so that was my answer for everything. So my first month, I made almost double what I made at my other job, my first month. And so my dad was like, all right, here's your check, buddy. And he's excited because his son is like learning his business. He wants to hand the baton, you know? And, uh, and so he takes me to the bank. I'll never forget this. And this was exciting for me because I got to call my wife, say, hey, remember how our bank account was like almost empty? I'm about to fill it up, baby. You can pay all those bills we're behind on. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And I remember he took me to the bank. We went up to the teller, cashed the check, and he said, I want you to have her count it out. So she's counting all this money out. They're all Benjamins, right? It was, it was like $5,000. That was a lot in a month. It was almost double what I made at my other job. And so she's counting out, and I'm just kind of like, <laughs> all these Benjamins. I'm like... <laughs> I'm young, man. I'm like, this is my first month. I'm a, I'm a loan officer. It was, it was big time, you know? And, uh, and then he says, and now I want you to count it out, make sure it's right. So I'm like, come on, dad, I don't need to do that. He's like, just do it. So I'm like, okay, count it out. And then he says, now look at me, son. And I look at him and I'll never forget this moment. He's like, do you remember how easy that was? He says, it's inside you. You can do it. Not only does God fill your bank account, but he says, you're an entrepreneur. You can make money. You produce righteousness. Not only was your account accredited as totally righteous, but now a seed, a DNA, the nature that God put in you is, this is who you are. Righteousness flows from your life. You ever get around somebody who makes money? It just, psh, whatever they touch turns to gold. They just, they've got it on them. Like whatever, they could do the stupidest business. Beard bump. No, I'm just kidding. Just any, any business, you'd think that, no, that's not going to do well. Psh, and it just it turns to gold. Money, money, money. It's inside of them. It's an anointing. It's a gift from God. Thank God for kings in the earth that have the grace to make money in there. We need more of those types of people because we, we need to buy a building. Come on, we need millions of dollars. We want to buy buildings. We want to plant churches. We want to launch campuses. And thank you for that one clap in the back. Jesus, help us all. So what I learned from this is not only is now my account full of righteousness because God says I'm righteous, but now he says, Guess what? And you can make money. It's who you are. 
That's what God does. He doesn't just say you're righteous. He says now righteousness is gonna, it's gonna grow inside of you. It's literally a substance. It's, it's the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, self-control. Against such there's no law. It flows effortlessly from your life. You don't tell an apple tree to grow apples. An apple tree just grows apples because that's what it does. Come on, apple tree, would you just produce those apples? I mean, the apple tree doesn't need to, like if, if you were an apple tree, like, oh gosh, I just, ugh, I wanna grow these apples. Ugh. Doesn't work like that, right? It just, it, what does it do? It soaks in the sun. <sighs> soaks up that water. Oh, the living water of Jesus. Soak up the grace that's flowing from the heart of God. With my branches lifted high, worship and adoration. Oh, Lord, you're holy, you're beautiful. You love me and I let you love me. And it produces fruit, it produces righteousness. That's, the re that's what the revelation of the holiness of God does. It doesn't make us like, oh, I'm a wretched, horrible person. It says, wait a minute. Now, there, there is some awakening that ha takes place in the revelation of the holiness of God. But he, how many know he purifies the well of our hearts? He, he purifies. So then when we speak things, when we, when we love, when we, there's spiritual righteousness, substance, love that flows from those things. Can I hear you say amen? amen? None of that was in my notes, so praise God. He changes how we see things. Isaiah heard the angels say, holy, 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 which by the way, it's not, it's, it, it's not just like saying the same word three times. A lot of scholars will tell you this. One scholar, R.C. Sproul, put it this way. He said that in the Hebrew poetic, holy, holy, holy in Isaiah 6 was an exponential increase of holiness. Holy to the power of holy, whatever that means, to the power of holy. Like, you can't even begin to, it, here's what it reminds me of. When I think about the holiness of God, it changes the way we see things. I get married, married life. Oh, glory to God. And in some ways, what I thought it would be wasn't. In some ways, what the negative things I thought it was even better. Come on, somebody. You know, I thought I'm come home, make me a sandwich, woman. Oh, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, honey? But the other night, I was craving some cookies. I'm just going to brag on my wife and it's late and I'm just, I'm studying. I'm like, honey, I text her, would you come down and make me some cookies? She came down, made two batches of cookies. There's still some left in a Ziploc and those things were so good and I ate too many. The fatness destroys the yoke, Isaiah 10, 27. Oh, hallelujah. But when I got married, in some ways, I thought I knew what I was in for. In a lot of ways, I didn't know nothing. I, I mean, I didn't, like, I've learned, I'm still learning. But, you know, I've learned, of course, you know, yes, honey, that's the best thing you can learn, right? Yes, honey. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> she makes me say that. Okay, um, moving on. Now, marriage was amazing. And then we had our little girl, our little princess, Sarah, who's teaching the kids in the other room. And in the womb, she would leap when I would play the guitar, and, I would, and she'd hear worship, especially her daddy's worship, come on somebody, and she would leap in the womb, and now she leads worship, and, and I remember having Sarah, and, and even at, from, from the day she was born to those, those first few weeks of, uh, there's no gift like that, there's nothing, I mean, you're just in awe, whoa, there's, there's nothing like that, 
There's, no, there's nothing like, now, now some of you, you love, you might not have your own kids or maybe you do, maybe b- before if you do have your own kids. And remember when you didn't have your own children and you love children, maybe you didn't like them that much, but when you have your own children, something happens in your heart. You see something differently. You're like, I never thought it would be like this. I remember seeing her face when she first appeared in the room. Magically, that's how it happens. The stork showed up. Every eye was weeping in the room. Probably because it was 36 hours of labor and four hours of pushing. So there was quite a bit of anticipation building up. Can we all say, Lord, have mercy? It hurt. I was there. No, I'm kidding. I, don't, I have no idea what it was like. I, <laughs> I never thought I would discover more love than that. I never thought, I'm like, this is, this is my baby girl. You know, and you protect her and anyone wants to hold her, you better sanitize your hands right now before you touch my baby. <laughs> I used to mess with Rochelle. I'm like, Rochelle, be careful. Don't drop her. Don't, like, you know, and I would, I, of course, I'm messing around. And then watching Rochelle as a young woman just mother and nurture this child. It's a gift from God. It's like you're watching the love of God in action in family. This is what it looks like. It's holy. And then I thought, I can't imagine having any other kid. One kid, this is perfect. And then David came. David. This little curly-headed boy, long. We let his hair grow out. He was so pretty. He looked like a girl. His eyebrows were perfect. I mean, he's a pretty boy already, but you should have seen when he was like two, three running around. And I remember Sarah mothering him. And one Christmas years ago, they're walking down the stairs and Sarah's like, come on, David, let's open presents. We're going to open and you're probably going to get some toys. And he's like, to this day, he's the same way. Sarah would hug him and he, his arms are just kind of stiff like this. He doesn't really hug back. Like he's loving, he's a lover, but he's just like, you know, okay, I'll hug you back. And Sarah's like, let's go open presents. He's like, I don't want girl toys. I want boy toys. <laughs> and the dynamic of Sarah and David, they were, our, they were little buddies. Like, I'm like, wow, I never, I never thought it would, like, it would be like this. It's even more beautiful than I anticipated. And then we had Hannah. And Hannah means grace, and her middle name is Grace. And it was just like favor upon favor. And then Josiah with this tender heart, and then Layla with her fire that is the center of the whole universe, right? And like, it was almost like you walk into a mansion and you open a house and there's a whole nother room. You're like, whoa, this is amazing. Then what, there's two bathrooms in here? Then you open up another and it's like, there's a wine cellar? I want this house. That's the revelation of the holiness of God. Just when we think we've got it down, it's like, we have no idea. God reveals to us another facet of his nature. You thought you understood my love. You haven't even begun to understand my love. We get another taste of that wine and we're like, oh, I was drinking grape juice before. This is the real deal. Come on, that is what the holiness of God is like just when you think you understand who he is he reveals his nature to you a little bit more just I don't think we can handle that much but he just just a little more light and we're like oh my god you're amazing there's nobody like you you are holy you are holy I want to read uh, Hebrews chapter 12 we're going to close with these verses God changes the way we see everything. One of the things that I'll touch on just for a second is a revelation of God's holiness always leads us to say, here am I, send me. Following in the footsteps of Jesus, 
I believe that here am I, send me. When, when the voice that Isaiah heard, Isaiah chapter six, you can read the whole chapter later. He hears the, he hears the voice. Whom will go for us and whom shall we send? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? It seems apparent there's a conversation going on. It's not just one individual. It's the Godhead. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But I believe it wasn't just Isaiah saying, here am I. It was the conversation of the Godhead before time of Jesus saying, here am I, send me. Following in his footsteps, holiness always leads us to say, here am I. It doesn't build up walls to broken people. It tears down walls. It catapults us into bringing healing and love and forgiveness and restoration to the most broken places, the most dark places. Never lead, if we're under the law, we'll act like Pharisees. If we're under grace, we act like Jesus. Loving broken people, touching lepers, come on. The untouchable, the forgotten ones the ones that are always passed by. Holiness will always lead us to demonstrating the love of God to humanity. That was point three. I'm gonna read in closing Hebrews chapter 12. Really powerful where there's this perspective of these two paradigms. We have a choice when we, when we seek God, when we get a revelation of his holiness, if we're in a paradigm of, and we have tentacles of old covenant thinking, and now I'm not talking about the Old Testament, the, the whole Bible is inspired and authoritative. Can you say amen? It's the word of God. When I say old covenant, I'm talking about an old covenant system that is no longer applicable to us. Like we don't, we're not bound under the ceremonial laws and those types of things. But sometimes we still have old covenant thinking and I want to read. And then there's this other paradigm that the author of Hebrews gives us. It's so profound. Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to start reading at verse 18. Are you all ready? Are you guys enjoying this this morning? It's 1121. Just give me a few more minutes, literally like three minutes and we're going to close. For we're not coming as Moses did to the physical mountain with its burning fire, thick clouds of darkness and gloom, and with raging, a raging whirlwind. We're not those who are being warned by the jarring blast of the trumpet and the thundering voice, the fearful voice that they begged to be silenced. They couldn't handle God's command that said, if so much as an animal approaches the mountain, it's to be stoned to death. Verse 21, the astounding phenomenon Moses witnessed caused him to shudder with fear and he could only say, I am trembling in terror. So 18 to 21, he gives us a contrast of what it's like to come to Mount Sinai, the old covenant. And then he steps in, he says, but we've come to a new covenant mountain called Mount Zion. Say Zion. It's the church of the living God, the city of God. Now, I want to talk about the fear of the Lord just for a minute. Before I read this, the fear of the Lord, a rabbi will teach you this, okay? That the fear of the Lord should not be interpreted as a dr dreadful terror, like, God forbid this happened to anyone, but let's say you're out surfing. How many surfers do we have in the house? And you're out surfing, and this great white appears out of nowhere, opens his mouth, and he's about ready to chomp you. How many know that that's terror? Say terror. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a different word. And so when you read in Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is like this. Let's say you walk into a room 
You show up in your room, you close the door, and then all of a sudden, you sense a presence of somebody. Has that ever happened to you? You turn around in the corner of the room and somebody's there. The word respect actually comes from that. Respect, to respect. The fear of the Lord is the awareness of God and it startles you a little bit. It's more than just awe or reverence. It's like a, oh God, you're present, you're here. It causes us to bow. There's a revelation even in the new covenant that we're under that causes us to bow. The book of Revelation says that the the elders, the 24 elders, they cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Come on. And they see holy, holy, blessing and honor, glory and power be unto our God forever and ever and ever. Can you say amen? There's a revelation of the holiness of God that causes us to want to lie prostrate before the Lord in worship. Now let's read. We've come to Mount Zion. Let's close with this. The astounding phenomenon. Moses witnessed, he he was trembling in terror. But by contrast, verse 22, we have already come near to God in a totally different realm, the Zion realm. For we have entered the city of the living God, which is the new Jerusalem in heaven. We have joined the feastal gathering of the myriads of angels in their joyous celebration. And as members of the church, the firstborn, our names have been legally registered as citizens in heaven. And we have come before God who judges all and who lives among the spirits of righteous who had been made perfect in his eyes. And we have come to Jesus who has established a new covenant. Shout out new covenant with his blood sprinkled on the mercy seat, and that blood continues to speak from heaven, forgiveness. Come on. A better message than Abel's blood that spoke justice. Make, every, uh, make very sure that you never refuse to listen to God when he speaks. Selah. Because he's holy. He's so holy. If they didn't escape the earth from Sinai, the same God who speaks from heaven, those who heard him speak his living word on earth found nowhere to hide. So what chance is there for us to escape if we turn our backs on God and refuse to hear his warnings as he speaks from heaven? Amen? That's a weighty word. The earth was rocked at the sound of his voice from the mountain, but now he has promised He says, I'm going to shake the things that can be shaken and the things that can't be shaken will remain. This is what God says, his voice. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. David, you know how much I love you. You're so awesome my entire... My entire sermon, try not to cut that out when we're talking. My entire sermon. Do you know how proud I am of you? You are the most awesome, talented, anointed young man I've ever encountered. 17 years old, and you have the capacity to change any sphere you want to. You want to go on the mountain of the church and minister? You got it, buddy. You want to go into Hollywood? You got it, buddy. There is so much inside of you, and I just bless you right now as my son. I'm so proud of you. 
Pastor, why are you doing that? I'm just, it's just like holiness. I'm just, another door opens. Man, my kid, my kids are amazing. They're beautiful. That's what happens when we discover the beauty of who God is. It changes the way we see everything. Come on. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I bless you right now, David. Is he receiving that right now? Yeah. The presence of the Lord permeating his entire being right now. So the author of Hebrews, let me close. He says, the earth was rocked from the sound of his voice from the mountain. He says, I'm going to shake the things that can be shaken. The things that can't be shaken will remain the kingdom of God. Now look, since we're receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, verse 28, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Come on, let's lift our hands right now. And let's offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe, the fear of the Lord. Verse 29, for our God is holy and he is a consuming fire. Father, we posture our lives at you and we thank you for greater revelations of your holiness. May it unfold and continue to cause us to be undone like Isaiah. And Lord, we thank you for angelic hosts of heaven taking the the coals from the golden altar of incense that perpetually burns before you in heaven, representing worship and prayer and intimacy and love and the knowledge of God. Take that hot coal and brand our hearts with the spirit of worship and prayer, with the spirit of being aware of your presence and desiring who you are. Father, thank you for that right now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Would you seal it with a shout of praise? Come on. Holy is the Lord God. Holy is the Lord God. I want you to come. If you need prayer for anything, just come up here. You can bow. You can worship. We'll pray over you. The prayer team, we're going to lay hands on you. If you want to discover and just uh, get a greater glimpse at the holiness of God and who he is, I want you to come up front right now and just come and receive. Come and, and let us impart to you. And then those of you that would like to be dismissed, you may. We bless you right now in Jesus' name. So if anyone needs prayer, just come on up.